The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 12. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. Most organizations, if you're part of one, uh, have mission statements, your workplaces, right? And what's the purpose of a mission statement? It's, It's a short explanation of an organization or institution's reason for being. It describes the institution's purposes and plans, why they're here. Imagine imagine if this were the mission statement written over this church's door when you walked in. You are here to manifest excellence beyond a paradigm of betterment with magnitude for implementation of probity and cohesion with coalescence and diversity of purpose. Most of us would be like scratching our heads going, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what any of that just meant. I don't understand a word of that. And so maybe we'd be just too embarrassed to ask anyone, to ex- could you explain this mission statement? So we just commit to looking as busy or as confident or as productive as possible, even though we have no idea what it is we're supposed to be doing here or why we're even here. And you look at someone like Amazon's mission statement. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's big. Here's what it is. We strive to be Earth's most customer-centric company. 
Earth's best employer and Earth's safest place to work. Wow. That's a big mission statement. All of Earth is included in Amazon's mission. It's almost almost uh, reminiscent of the Great Commission, right? From Jesus in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all the earth, like all nations. Mission statements, they're important. They are. But when they're forgotten, or when they're confusing, or when they're ignored, guess what happens? People just start to drift. They start to wander. They start to even write their own mission statement of why they're here. The church is one institution and organization that can easily lose sight of its mission, forget why it is we're here. If I asked you to tell me what the specific mission statement to all saints is, I would venture to guess that none of us would know it by heart. Here it is, in case you were curious. The mission of all saints is to enjoy and proclaim the glory of God in our everyday lives of worship, in order to display the love of Jesus and the hope of his transformation to the lives of individuals, families, the community of Green Bay, and the world. That's our mission, specifically. We're about three weeks from finishing our time in the book of Acts, and it's a book that started with a promise. Jesus' words in Acts 1.8, said this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so far throughout the book, in 12 chapters, we've seen how through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is on mission through his people. But to do what? What is God's mission statement? If God had a simple mission statement, friends. What do you think it would be? Acts 13 is here to write God's mission statement on our hearts once again. Because Acts 13 is the first move in this book for the first missionary journey of someone being sent out on mission. And so if we thought about what is God's mission statement, It's global, like Amazon. It's going to take work to understand how to do it. But this mission is also just simple and tangible and beautiful. And I took a stab at it as a pastor. I took a stab at just writing what I believe to be God's mission statement on earth. And it might read like this. God's mission is to send Jesus into all the world to make crooked ways straight again. God's mission is to send Jesus into all the world to make crooked ways straight again. So if the church is considered the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, then that mission statement needs to be our mission statement to send Jesus into all the world to make the crooked ways straight again. How does this work? How does God's mission work in making crooked ways straight again through Jesus? Well, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit 
And there's three things I just want to highlight that the Holy Spirit does in doing this work through the church. And the first thing he does is the Holy Spirit sets us straight. Look with me again at verses 1 to 3. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping, the whole church, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Just a little backstory to where we are in Acts. Antioch, the church in Antioch, is becoming the new hub of the church. Because in Antioch, the church read the portion of God's mission that said, into all the world, and believed it. And you see that in how the Holy Spirit has set this church straight in the cast of characters which make up the pastoral staff in Antioch. Who do we got? Prophets and teachers, including Barnabas, who's an islander, Simeon and Lucius, two Africans, Menaean, a Roman who went to elementary school with Herod, the guy who had John the Baptist beheaded, and then Saul, a Pharisee and a former vigilante of the church from up north in Tarsus. That's who's making up the pastoral staff of Antioch. The Holy Spirit has set straight these men and put them on staff in this church. And this church now is a representation of all of these different nations and these different people that have been set straight by the gospel. It's such an interesting list of people. But the Spirit is also setting the church straight through the leadership of these prophets and teachers. How are they leading the people? Verse 2 and 3 tells us, in leading the worship of the Lord and leading prayer and leading fasting. That word for worship in verse 2 can also be translated as serving the Lord. They're not serving themselves like a buffet table of worship where they're like, what's in it for me, Jesus? No, they're setting their eyes and their priorities onto the, who the Lord is and what the Lord wants. They're fasting, which is a discipline of replacing food with prayer. Because they're reading this mission statement of the Lord to go into all the world with Jesus to make the crooked ways straight again. And they're asking, Lord, how do you want us to do this? What do you want next for us? And look what happens as they do this. The Spirit speaks. Send Barnabas and Saul out. If I were a betting man, this is not an audible voice that came down over the church's loudspeakers. Send Barnabas and Saul. No, I don't think that's what's going on. My bet would be that through the collective prayers, worship, and discernment of the people, the call put on Barnabas and Saul's life to be sent out was a collective effort and process of prayer and discernment. Even in verse 3, you continue to see the church fasting and praying before laying hands on the two of them. They want to confirm, has the Holy Spirit made this message clear? Friends, we do this with our elder nominations in the church. We prayerfully ask the people, 
to ask people, members of our church, if God might be placing a call to lead the church onto their hearts. We then, as we're beginning the process with one gentleman in our church in the next couple of weeks, we then discern their spiritual qualifications and their biblical knowledge. It's probably what was going on with Bob, Barnabas and Saul. And then we test that over the course of time to see if they're the right fit for this place at this time and this season. And then we have the congregation vote. And then if that vote is a majority, then we lay hands on them. It's a process. It's not just send Barnabas and Saul. The Spirit is part of that straightening process in setting us on course. Saints, we're in Acts 13 today because as one of your shepherds who's had hands laid on him, we need to commit to prayerfully serving the Lord in asking, where are you preparing and straightening us up for the next leg of our mission? Where do you want us in terms of place? Do you want us to have another building? Do you want us to have our own building? Do you want us to partner with another Hispanic church plant? Do you want us to serve in nursing homes? Do you want us to serve in court systems? How do you want us to think better than bigger than ourselves and set us straight toward the path of the kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How do you want us to do this, Lord? In this summer, I'm asking each of you who consider this church your army to commit to joining us for Thursday studies throughout the summer called On Earth As It Is in Heaven. We're going to have six meetings this summer, which will ramp up through the summer. And they're going to involve prayer. They're going to involve fasting. They're going to involve seeking first His kingdom mission over anything else we would want. It's a sacrifice in the summer in Wisconsin. I know. We love our summers. Leave our summers alone. But it is necessary to keep this place, this church, aligned with the Lord's mission. And I would encourage you to prayerfully consider joining us. And my hope is that at least three-quarters of our church membership would be involved in this study together. The Spirit first sets the church straight. And secondly, the Holy Spirit's wind sends us sailing on mission. Verses 4 to 7. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, Saul and Barnabas, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. Seleucia is the port city next to Antioch, right on the coast. And they're sailing to Cyprus, which is an island west of where they were. When they arrived at Salamis, which is the city right when you get to that island, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, that's the capital of Cyprus, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of salvation. He was with the proconsul, which is the governor of the island, Sergius Paulus, who was a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. All right, so you, you see where we're at. Saul and Barnabas have been set, set sail from the church in Antioch to 
this first place, Salamis, which is Barnabas' hometown on the coast of an island called Cyprus. And the Spirit has been like the wind in their sails, taking them straight across the sea about 60 miles and then across the island of Cyprus, which is about east to west, 90 miles in a straight line through the whole island, through every synagogue as guest preachers. That's what they're doing. And they land at the capital, Paphos, with John Mark by their side to help out. We're going to see and learn next week that John Mark abandons ship. And we have to ask why. Why does he mention John here to assist them? And why in verse 13 will he say John Mark's gone? Well, verse 6 gives us a hint. If you've sailed for any length of time, which I really haven't, you are bound to hit a storm. You're bound to hit winds that want to take your boat on a different course than the one you're sailing. And when that happens, it is not an easy sail or an easy path. And when you think about Cyprus, I I want you to imagine Cyprus to be to them like the Bahamas is to us. Okay? What is the Bahamas to us? Oh, it's an island of pleasure, right? And culture and breeze in your hair and tropical drinks and tropical food. It's It's just a delight to be in the Bahamas. That's how Cyprus was. And as Jesus is working to take these people to bring the gospel to these crooked places and these crooked ways and these crooked statuses, there's going to be hurricane force winds that are going to resist that change. They're going to want to keep Cyprus like the Bahamas without Jesus. Everything stays the same. Don't even bring that here to this island. If you think about it, why John Mark left and why he Uh, abandoned ship was probably because he had a view of mission that involved smooth sailing. I'm going to Cyprus. I'm going to Cyprus to do the Lord's work. But then they come upon this false prophet, Bar-Jesus, which I think is just one example of many people they came across across the island that were making their life hard as they're bringing Jesus and his kingdom and his righteousness to this place. And John Mark, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this kind of sale. I'm out. By God's grace, he will be restored back to fellowship, but not after learning the hard lesson that serving God and serving his mission statement is not without tons and tons and tons of resistance. It's not a holiday by the sea. It's a holy war against spiritual force winds. you got to hang on, people. But at the end of their particular road in this passage is a political leader named Sergius Paulus who wants to hear the word of God, who wants to hear the gospel, who wants to hear, you're talking about one who's making straight the path toward God. I want to know about him. And so they're making their way toward him. But it's not easy. I was having a conversation with someone recently who expressed some sadness over some of the ways in which this particular church and its people had hurt them. And the winds that they'd experienced had caused them to want to, like John Mark, I I just want to sail back to Jerusalem or at least keep an arm's length distance from those who are hurting me. And at the end of the conversation, I was honest with them. I said, I'm not sure if you're someone I could go to war with. 
Because I'm concerned when the battle is going to get stronger and harder, it's only going to be a matter of time that I'm going to turn to have you help me with the fight and you're going to be gone. And it was a beautiful conversation to encourage one another. No, we're in the battle together. That there are people and there are places that are still longing to hear about a God who can make crooked paths straight again. Who are longing to hear about Jesus. That we're going to fight this current, this wind, this opposition as an army banded together and not as a soldier going at it by himself or by herself. We must submit as Jesus did to the point of death to the Father's mission in the church. And depend on his spirit to be the wind in our sails when we can no longer see through the clouds and the wind. We can't see Sergius and Paulus, Sergius Paulus anymore because the wind and the rain is blocking us. But he's still there. And bar Jesus' breath, this false prophet and his wind and his gas is so bad we just can't see the man ahead of us. But we need to ask the spirit to keep wind in our sails even as the hurricane blows. The last way in which God's mission of making crooked ways straight through Jesus is our mission is that the Holy Spirit, what he does is he blows obstacles to the gospel out of our way. Let's look at the last few verses, verses 8 to 11. But Elymas the magician, which is also named for Bar-Jesus, that's the meaning of his name, that's what he's saying, he opposed them seeking to turn the governor away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Elymas, at Bar-Jesus, and said to him, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you're going to be blind, unable to see the sun for a time, and immediately missed Darkness fell upon him like cataracts, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Let's talk real briefly about Elymas, or his name, Bar-Jesus. He's called a magician, and we immediately think in our culture, magician, you think Penn and Teller, right? You think someone from America's got talent. That's not how it should be translated. He's a magi. You know that term? Yeah? A wise guy. He's a wise guy, like those who came from the east to visit Jesus. That makes more sense as Luke describes Sergius Paulus, the governor, as a man of intelligence. Wise guys surround themselves with wise guys. And as Saul and Barnabas are teaching Sergius the straightening love of Jesus, the making straight our crooked past, the forgiveness of Jesus, the life-altering hope of Jesus, this guy named Bar-Jesus, again, son of salvation, Verse 8 says, keeps twisting and turning and perverting their words. So they're saying to him, they're saying, Sergius, you know what? Your sin is even worse than you think it is. You're a really bad guy, and none of us are righteous, not one of us. We are all bad guys in this story. Paul and Barnabas are saying that to him. And then Elymas is throwing a prison bar down on Jesus and saying to Sergius, you know, no, 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 you're actually a really good guy. You're, you're, you're a good man. And people look up to you. No, no, I don't know what they're saying, but no, you're, you're a good guy. 
And then Paul and Barnabas came and say, no, Jesus alone can make you right and righteous. Not your own behavior, not your own works, not your whole trying to be a good boy. That can't do it. Jesus alone is your righteousness. Jesus alone is the one who can make you right, they preach. And Bar Jesus comes in, throws another bar down. No, no, Jesus can help you be righteous. I mean, he's a good guy. He's a good example. But you have to be the one to do the work. Don't let them tell you that Jesus does the work. No, you need to be doing the work. And then they're saying to him, God doesn't love you because you're good. God loves you in light of you being so bad that he died for your sins. That's how much he loves you, Paul and Barnabas preach. And Elymas responds with a Satan-led line, probably like, did God really say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Just look at how much glory he's given you. You've got a great house. You've got a great job. You've got a great reputation. It must be because you're special to him that he's blessed you so well. And in verse 9, Saul, whose name means the one prayed for, changes in an instant to Paul, meaning the small. <laughs> Paul the small, as the Spirit just takes over his words. The Spirit calls a name change upon Bar-Jesus, the son of salvation. What does he call him? You son of the devil. The Spirit blows obstacles to the gospel out of the way as he declares to this guy, you are an enemy of Jesus. You are an enemy of righteousness. You are an anti-Jesus. You are full of all the serpent's bait, and you'll stop at none, nothing to lie about the truth of Jesus. Saul goes after him. But Saul doesn't go after him. The Holy Spirit goes after him and blows the obstacles to the gospel out of the way. Saints, when the Spirit straightens crooked ways, He begins with our view of Jesus. Because it is in who we know Jesus to be that all the gospel obstacles will have to fall. He is the only one who can make our path straight. Jesus will not be an afterthought to your salvation. Jesus alone must be your salvation. Jesus will not be a good model of righteousness for us to copy him. No, Jesus alone must be your righteousness. Jesus will not be a helpful partial truth of which other truth and other sources can also be helpful. No, Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life, period. And small Paul is able to throw out these gospel obstacles because Christ himself said and did the same thing to him. Do you remember that? The Spirit, actually Jesus, directly called Paul out as a persecutor of the church, called him a son of the devil. And he blinded him, like he did Elymas, to be led by the hand for a time. So Paul is, has already had the log taken out of his own eye before he's pointing the finger at Bar-Jesus. Church, we, like Paul, must get smaller as the voice of the rushing wind of the Spirit comes out of our mouth, as we confront gospel obstacles, like depending on our own track record to make our way to God, like believing our own sin patterns will keep us from God, so we got to clean ourselves up, like believing the lies that say the path of self we're on will save us. It will only lead to darkness and blindness the same that was put upon Bar-Jesus. 
But what happens when the Holy Spirit straightens crooked ways by setting us straight, by sending us sailing, and by removing gospel obstacles? What happens? Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What this man heard through small Paul's mouth and what he witnessed watching one of his wise guy council members fumble around in the dark was suddenly a picture of who he was. I'm him. I'm in the dark and I need Christ's light. He believed Jesus was the only one to make his path straight. He believed Jesus was the only one to send him sailing toward God. He believed Jesus was the only one to remove the obstacle of sin and self-righteousness from him. He believed. The Spirit is setting us on mission to send Jesus into all the world to make crooked ways straight again. And saints, I have some really good news to share. I've already been given glimpses of this even in just the past week. One story I was given permission to share with you Recently, I was having a conversation with a friend about theirs and my struggle to live like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, and I'll explain what I mean by that, to live as if I believe that if I get it right, God will make my path straight. He will bless me with good things. Like if I do what I'm supposed to do, then God's going to pay me back with a good life. And how that view of salvation is so deadly and so dark. And we were talking in this conversation about two men. One man who approached a king because he loved him. Because he treasured him. Because the king served him so well. So this man who was a farmer came to the king and offered him the largest little carrot he could give him. He's like, here king, here's a carrot for you. And the king, who knew how much the servant just loved him and appreciated him, delighted in this man's service and this carrot and this worship. And he said, oh, I have got a garden for you. You can have my garden plot, 60 acres over here, all yours to farm and enjoy. It's the most luscious field. And there was another man watching this all go on. And he decided, no, I think I want some of that. I want in on that action. And so he brought out his largest Clydesdale horse to the king. He said, here came a horse for you, hoping and waiting that something would come of it. The king responded with, thank you, and let him leave. Well, the second man asked, wait, 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 why didn't you give me a team of horses Why didn't you give me something big like you gave that guy? And the king responded and he said, because the gift you gave me, you were just giving to yourself, not to me. And as we closed our conversation about this parable and about this story, I asked my friend, who struggles like me to relate to God like the selfish horse giver, I said, what do you do do with what we're talking about here? And his response was this, well, it gives me more to work on. And the Spirit was, was working on me and making me small like Paul to have the courage to confront this gospel obstacle. I say, why does it always end with you having to do more? 
to get God okay with you? And his response was like, you're right, I need to work on that. I'm like, there it is again, there it is again. Why do you have to keep doing that? You have no need for Christ. You have zero need for him. It's all up to you. It's all on you. And I was getting strong. And as we wrapped up our conversation, as we usually do, I asked him, could you close us in prayer in our time together? And I heard verse 12 of this passage just come alive. He prayed, I'm paraphrasing, I don't know exactly what he prayed, but he prayed something like this. I was mmming and amening the whole prayer. He said something like this. Father, I have nothing. I can't do this. I can't help myself. I can't work myself into you loving me. I need you to do what I can't. Make me right with you, Jesus. Amen. And I turned to him and I said, was that different for you? Was that prayer a little different than what I've heard you pray before? And he said with freedom in his eyes, I've never prayed like that before. Spirit moved in a tangible and glorious way that night. The crooked way was made straight by Jesus. This is the mission of God. And this is our mission, body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would continue to do a work in this body of making the crooked straight, of turning us from our own works and our own righteousness to the work of Christ alone. We have a lot of work to do, but we don't have to do it. We can trust you to do it. And so would you do the work in us setting us straight, showing us our sin and our need for Christ, putting wind in our sails to go places where we're called to go, even when the winds are going against us. Keep us moving forward. And Father, as you set us straight and as you put wind in our sails, Lord, we do ask that you would continue to get the gospel obstacles out of the way. Remove them and use us like you used Saul, who became Paul, to be small servants speaking a great spirit. Help us to speak truth to those gospel obstacles so that more like Sergius, unlike my brother, would continue to see our need for Jesus Christ alone. We pray this in his name. Amen.